have never experienced anything like what you're about to experience here today. Five, four, three, two, one. Action! We need to talk. You had better start talking to me now. For every American, this has to be the proudest day of our lives. Thank you for coming back to the show. Mom told me I had to. I love you. I'm proud of what you're doing. I know you're working hard for your state, but no matter how hard you're working, there's always time to call mom. She wants to hear from you. I called mom just before I came on the show. By the way, she said I was her favorite. And look, some of us have to work, right? I don't have the luxury of working one hour a day. Well, I'm happy first for of all, you. It's uh, a full time job. Work. It's a term of endearment okay. in Italian circles. To be the meatball, yes. you can please make him. Please hang up on him now. I'm just doing my job, which is what I've always done. Paul. Do you think Paul. that you are an attractive person now because you're single and ready to mingle? You're feeling pretty good about That's yourself these days. There's never going to be another moment like this where there's a, a brother, as an anchorman of a governor in the middle of COVID, and you know one of them gets COVID. Like, but it was unique. Here's the problem: we've really lost sense of media ethics. Let's, Let's get after it. Let's get after it. I love that saying. Jack Riccardi. 4 till 7, News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. KTSA News Time is 407. Good afternoon. Welcome to another week, a new week. Jack Riccardi on 550 and 1071, KTSA. We got a lot to talk about. We have a lot of breaking news. And uh, as always, this is the place where you can catch up on what's going on and we can talk about it. And we're going to do that uh, over the next few hours. So this was interesting. Um, the mayor of New York City, who's only in office for another few weeks, uh, has issued uh, the most sweeping vaccine mandate ever in this country. This is a mandate on everyone, all private employers. It takes place December 27th. Right away, the question is, if, it's, if this is an emergency, why does it take place three weeks from now? But um, December 27th, Everyone who works for private as well as public employers in the city of New York uh, has to be vaccinated. He says it's because Omicron is here and it looks very transmissible. Why wait for three weeks? The vaccines have been around for a year. And we're not running out of them. We have so much, they're throwing it away. When you look at the timing of this, then you start to realize what Bill de Blasio is really doing. See, Bill de Blasio will be out of office when the inevitable court challenges come, and they will. Bill de Blasio will be out of office when the new mayor of New York, Eric Adams, his fellow Democrat, but a guy that totally disagrees with him on vaccine mandates, has to clean up this mess on aisle five. And Bill de Blasio wants to run for governor of his state. So he's looking for one more big legacy moment and he's doing it on the backs of the people who live and work in his city. He is the typical politician of the last two years. COVID comes along, and instead of empathy, instead of um, support, these politicians saw an opportunity to do things they never thought they'd be able to do. They, they thought about doing them, they dreamed about doing them, but they didn't think they'd have the opportunity. And they saw it and they took it. They're like a, they're like a player, you know, a football player, he's got the ball, he sees a little gap in the line and he runs for it. 
And they saw an opening, and they took it. And Bill de Blasio is the typical example of that. And he leaves this poison pill for his successor, uh, Eric Adams, who's being a good guy about it. He's saying, look, I won't second-guess de Blasio. He's still the mayor. He's got to be the man right now. We'll worry about this after January 1st. Um, but why not impose, if it's an emergency, why not impose it immediately? You know, then I was reading a story about uh, what's going on. Have you heard about this in Los Angeles? They've got a crime wave going on, but it's in the last places you'd expect. You know, in every city there are upscale neighborhoods and people live there and pay a lot more to live there because it's safer. And people are freaking out because suddenly high-end retail stores and malls and high-end neighborhoods are seeing the kind of crime they never saw before. And there was a story over the weekend of a uh, some women who had gathered to have a party at a very swank Beverly Hills home. These were people who were in the music business and the movie business, and they came to the party in in Bentleys and and uh, you know uh, Lexuses and so forth. And they were outside on the patio, and they were inside, and these guys went into the house and robbed the women at the party, stole their Apple watches and their jewelry and other things, broad daylight. And there have been numerous other stories uh, like this. And people who've lived in California a long time say they've never seen it. And Californians who are famously anti-Second Amendment are, are setting records for getting guns and carrying guns uh, to and from work. And, of course, California also has a lot of these uh, George Soros prosecutors, where even if the cops catch people who do smash and grabs and lootings and audacious robberies, they're right back out on the street again. And then I read a story over the weekend. This is from Bank of America, and it's a memo that went out to their staffers working in New York City. So we're back to New York City now. Started in New York, went to L.A., we're back to New York. You'll see the pattern here. And the Bank of America executive, uh, the Bank of America uh, memo to its executives says, "Dress down. We want you to start dressing down when you come to work." Bank of America has a big tower; thousands of people work there in Manhattan. But the reason they're telling them to dress down is because there's been a 15 percent increase in robberies and assaults on the street in the last 30 days. And they don't want people who are going to work at the bank to look like they're going to work at the bank. So you look at what's happening in New York and L.A., and you think to yourself, you know, you only get so many years in this life, and the older I get, the more I'm aware of that, right? I mean, it's all finite. We only have so much time. We don't know how much time we have, but we know it's finite. And you can't get these years back again. When they're gone, they're gone. Do you want to live like this? Do you want to live like they're telling people to live in New York and L.A.? Is it worth it to say you, you voted against Trump or you, you know, whatever it is, whatever your, your political identity is, I don't care. Do you want to live like this? I don't think people do. And I think the time to move is now. If you haven't already done it, get out because it's not going to get better. And you don't have, a, you're not going to be able to relive these years. You've already lost the better part of two of them. 
and the next five look like they'll be about the same. Now, one of the big stories over the weekend was about the um, investigation into these parents in Michigan who had the, the son who shot up the high school. And we're learning bits and pieces about why they were charged and with what they will be charged. And then then there was a story about how Congressman Tom Massey, who's a Republican from Kentucky, and you've heard me talk about Thomas Massey before. He's a Republican, but he's really he's really more of a libertarian. He's not a typical Republican. He's definitely not a an establishment Republican. He's kind of on the outs with even the Republicans in Congress. So he's kind of a, a caucus of one, Thomas Massey. But he posted his family's Christmas card photo, and it's his uh, wife and his kids. They're all uh, teenage and older. And they're all carrying guns. They're all holding guns. And it says, Merry Christmas, P.S. Santa, please bring ammo for Christmas. And this has made people go crazy after the shooting in Michigan. They're calling him insensitive. They're saying he has blood on his hands. Uh, They're saying that he uh, has hurt the families of the victims of the Michigan school shooting. And I don't understand this reasoning. I don't understand. I, I understand our horror at a murderer. I understand our horror at an indiscriminate taker of lives. But I don't understand how people equate all guns with the gun that took those lives at Oxford High School. What do the guns in the Thomas Massey family have to do with that? What do the guns that, for whatever reason, they decided to hold in their photograph, what does that have to do with crime? Or the rising crime rate? In fact, what does your gun have to do with Oxford, Michigan? What does your decision to have one? for concealed carry or for hunting or whatever. What does that have to... When are they going to explain how, and pardon the pun, all guns trigger them? If we're going to hold people accountable, we have to make a distinction. We didn't all pull the trigger in Michigan. Your gun was not in the hands of the shooter in Michigan. Thomas Massey's family's guns were not there. To my knowledge, no one in his family has been accused of any crimes. They never make that explanation. They never make that connection. They just tell you it's offensive and outrageous and, oh, we're so hurt. There were even people who have lost children in school shootings who sent Thomas Massey pictures of their children's gravestones. And I I can't walk in the shoes of those parents. I don't know what they've been through, but for God's sakes... Explain to me, please, because I want to understand. What does his family have to do with what happened to yours? And what what is it you would have legal and, and responsible gun owners do? Not that they will do it, but I would be curious to at least hear the request. They never really get to that, do they? They just do this smear, this guilt by association. It's all guns. And it doesn't work that way with any other thing. We don't say it's all cars. 
that drove into that parade. Right? But we, we somehow, with guns, we give people permission to make no logical connection at all. You don't have to explain it. They don't even try. We're talking about that. 210-599-5555. All the breaking news, a new JR poll, and much more. And we have a couple of great guests coming up, too. Jed Babbin's going to help us kind of look at the world as President Biden gets set to uh, meet with President Putin tomorrow. And we're going to meet a young man who helps your kid get into college. And he's doing this in a, in a really unusual and unique way. I, I read an article about this guy, and I've wanted to have him on the show for weeks, and we finally tracked him down, and he's going to be with us uh, coming up in about an hour. So if you have anyone in your family who's getting ready to apply for or in the midst of applying for college, you're going to want to hear this. Uh, among the many things going on today is criticism for Kentucky Congressman Thomas Massey. He tweeted out his family's Christmas photo, as a lot of people are doing that right now. They're sharing their the photo that's going to be their Christmas card or in it. And in his photo, his family are all holding their guns. And it says, Santa, please bring ammo. How dare you, say the critics. And they say that it's insensitive to show guns in this photo. These guns haven't been used in a mass murder. These guns haven't been used in a crime. If you're trying to convince me that all guns are guilty, seems like a short trip to convince me that all people are guilty. Why are we worried about investigating the shooter in Michigan? We might as well just say, well, everybody's, everybody's guilty. We don't need a trial. We don't need an investigation. There's 330 million perps. Bobby is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Bobby, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Yeah, my thoughts on that were it's kind of sad that they put all that time and effort to send nasty grams to this guy when they should be trying to help kids that they know are being bullied out there and stop some of this because that's where the majority of it comes from. Uh, quick story I have. I'm, I'm a 50-year-old man now, but in the mid-80s, I was getting bullied a lot, tapping on the bus, getting off the bus, managed to elude this group one day and get home. And they showed up at my house beating on my front door. My parents weren't home yet. And what they didn't know is I had my dad's loaded two seventy deer rifle on the other side of the door. So mm-hmm. I could have been in some of these people's shoes. Yep. And they don't get it. And when you're a kid, you don't know how to turn to adults sometimes. Or even the adults that you're supposed to turn to aren't helpful. Mm-hmm. You know, that um, there's a show I seen just the other day called Bully. And I watched it. And this is within the last week or two, and I was totally amazed they followed uh, a principle on part of this where this kid was getting physically assaulted and all this other stuff. And most of her comments, well, what part did you have in that? Maybe someday y'all will be friends. And it's like, how stupid are you? You know? And that's people helping run the school system supposed to be protecting kids. And she's totally oblivious and ignorant. You make a you make a great point. If we spent more energy uh, taking an actual interest in kids and what's going on in their lives and recognizing how different their lives are from even ours when we were their age. I mean, I know you said you had a bullying thing happen to you, Bobby, and I'm sorry for that. But the truth is, more and more as I as I look at it, um, the, kids today are going through things and are living in a world so different from ours. You might as well just forget whatever you remember about your own childhood. 
if we spent time and we put the resources and the know-how and the heart and the passion into figuring out what's going on with kids, our own for starters, that would be a lot better than, yes, I agree with Bobby, than, than Twitter wars over Tom Massey's Christmas photo. I, I have no idea what motivated him to post it. I, I seriously doubt he was attempting to hurt or insult the families in Michigan. I am sorry for the families of any shooting victim, and I'm sure that there's painful memories and painful things that trigger memories all around every corner. I'm sure they all through the day they pick something up, they walk past a photograph. There's there's pain. But this this whole business of uh, oh he's got the blood on his hands and he's part of the pro- this is this is insanity. And and again, it doesn't as as Bobby correctly observes doesn't actually help anybody. How's that for a concept? We want to help some people. On our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line right now, he's a former Deputy Undersecretary of Defense in the Bush 41 administration, a contributing editor at American Spectator, Jed Babin. Jed, good afternoon to you. Well, good afternoon. So we got President Biden uh, doing a one-on-one with President Putin tomorrow. Um, the background or the setting for this is uh, all those uh, Russian troops uh, massed on the Ukraine border. Uh, obviously, that's the concern. What What are the tools in the toolbox for President Biden? Not much, frankly. Uh, you know, everybody knows. The Russians know. The Ukrainians know. NATO knows. And we know we're not going to go to war to defend Ukraine, despite what's coming out of Mr. Biden. Uh, you know, he has had people, well, such as uh, Secretary of State Tony Blinken said, we have a irrefutable commitment to Ukraine's territorial integrity and sovereignty. Uh, but obviously that's not going to translate into military intervention in case Russia tries to invade. And it does look like they're going to do that within the next 60 days. Their story is uh, there's a lot of Russians being oppressed by the Western Ukrainians. The real story seems to be more to do with Ukraine's emergence as an independent state and a potential NATO member. Um, so wh- why should, if I'm listening to this interview right now, I'm sitting in traffic, why should I care if Russia takes Ukraine? Well, I think it just would go to show that, you know, a free nation can't exist on Russia's borders. And it bodes ill for any of our other NATO allies. You know, NATO is, Ukraine is not a member of NATO. So we're not going to go to war to defend them. But they are a free nation. And, you know, obviously we have an interest in supporting freedom, but not to the extent of going to war there. I think we have to care, but caring is something different than going to war to defend them. But what about, I mean, I've heard people talk about sanctions on the Russian banking system, which would affect Putin personally, because he's probably one of the richest men in the world, even though we don't we don't know exactly what he has. Uh, I've heard them talk about uh, moves we could make on that Nord Stream pipeline. Are there any things like that that would be dissuading the Russians? Well, if we did it before they actually tried to invade, yeah, we might be able to deter them if, for example, uh, we kick them out of the SWIFT consortium, which clears banking transactions around the world. I mm-hmm. think they have mm-hmm. something like 40 billion transactions a day uh, that go through their system, and the Russians would be very hurting uh, if they couldn't clear 
uh, banking transactions through American and French and so on banks. Uh, but at this point, I don't think Mr. Biden is ready to do that. He's not serious about taking on Russia and certainly not serious about actually hurting Putin. In the meantime, Mr. Putin is looking at us and saying, oh, yeah, you guys quit Afghanistan, left your people behind. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of credibility, well, there or pretty much anywhere else at this point. You know, I was thinking today, uh, if I'm China, I'd be watching Russia, and I would uh, think uh, when they start rolling across that border, that might also be a good time to make your move on Taiwan. Well, you know, the scariest part of all this, Jack, is that there may be an agreement. I'm not saying that there is. I do not know. But if I were Putin and if I were Xi Jinping, I would have talked and said something to the effect of, okay, uh, you go for one, I'll go for the other at the same time. The Americans are not going to be able to do a doggone thing about it. Um, Speaking of China, there was a story... Yeah, there was a story I, I saw over the weekend, um, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal, I could be wrong about that, that China is establishing its first permanent naval base in the Atlantic. Uh, this yep. is uh, in the African nation of Equatorial Guinea. What, what's the significance of that, Jed Babin? Well, it's a tremendous injection of Soviet, not Soviet, but Chinese power into our home base, basically. I mean, we don't have a home base in Africa, but we have the Atlantic is basically what has protected our nation since it was founded. And, you know, we have used the Atlantic to form the NATO alliance, to form other alliances, to basically extend our influence around that whole region. And for China to establish a naval base in the west coast of Africa is a big, big, well, I don't say it's a threat immediately, but it's certainly building up to a threat to our entire influence in the Atlantic region. Now, we have hundreds of bases all around the world, I think something like 70 countries. We have bases in Africa. We we operate those bases, and in many cases have operated them for decades. How would a Chinese base differ? And, and the world accepts that. I mean, the world the world is co-humming the fact that there are these U.S. bases. How is a Chinese base different? Well, you know, I hate to put it in these terms, but we're the good guys, and they ain't. You know, their objective is to spread their power, not to mm-hmm. spread freedom and democracy. But they want to spread their power, and they're doing it through the Belt and Road Initiative, through a whole variety of things, such as establishing naval bases on the west coast of Pakistan, now on the west coast of Africa. They are spreading as far as they can, and they do not have peaceful intentions. They mm-hmm. do not act like we do. They right. want to bring people within their well, frankly, within their power. They want to have power where we just simply want to, you know, exist with people and, quite frankly, help people flourish. It's a great now, deal. Now, you understand, I'm, I'm, being devil's, I'm being a devil's advocate with you. I'm not, oh, I'm, not sure. advocate, I'm not advocating for Beijing. But the reason I ask I is because I know a little bit about what they say. They, they are telling these countries, we're going to invest, we're going to build infrastructure, um, we're going to help you defend yourself against all of this piracy and terrorism, and the U.S. is not a guarantor of, of security that it once was. So we're 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 the new best friend, or we're the new you know we're the new uh, kid on the block that can help you. Um, are, are countries are countries believing that, or do they sort of have no choice? Well, I think it's a little of both. Uh, I think it's a lot of both, quite frankly. Uh, the nations that they're going into. 
you know, like Pakistan and so forth, and now in Western Africa, you know, these are very poor nations. Their economies are, are really not at all strong. And China is injecting billions of dollars and saying, oh, yeah, we're going to create infrastructure and so forth. Oh, by the way, we're going to put an Air Force base here or a naval base there, and uh, we're going to populate it with uh, members of our military. Uh, but don't worry about that. I mean, it's not threatening your free- freedom, even though obviously it is. So this is the kind of thing that nations are falling for. Uh, you know, tributary states, those that will actually be under the thumb of Beijing and, you know, frankly, pay tribute in some form or another every year to it. That's what they're trying to set up. Mm-hmm. They've done mm-hmm. it so far in parts of Asia, and they're doing it now in Africa. And who knows? I mean, they're going to do it as far as they can. And, you know, eventually they're going to run up against us and uh, even the Russians. What uh, What's the next column about? Well, it's probably going to be about Ukraine. And, uh, you know, we've got an awful lot of things going on there. And Mr. Biden's got a big meeting with Mr. Putin tomorrow. I don't expect anything to come out of that except Mr. Putin saying, well, we have, an, we have to have a guarantee that Ukraine won't join NATO. And uh, Biden will probably say something like, um... Uh, in response to that. So I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm not hopeful. Jed Babin with us on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line. Always a pleasure, sir. Thank you. Thank you. It's hard for me to ask for anything. I have a hard time asking for directions, like all men, but I I have a hard time asking for anything. If I was on fire, I would have a hard time asking for a cup of water. And I, I try not to ask, believe me when I tell you, we get approached by a lot of good organizations and good causes, and I, I, I don't want to come to you every five seconds asking, but once a year I ask, and I'm asking now about this year's Wrapping with Jack campaign. This is our 23rd year of working with Family Service Association. And um, from the beginning, when we've been working with them, and they're the oldest, most respected family charity in San Antonio, But from the beginning, I knew that if we could just get the message and the idea of it in front of enough people, we could raise the money, we could raise the gifts. We just, people just have to know. And so we've been trying as best we could over the years to let people know what's different about this. This isn't a toy drive. Uh, this isn't a, a, a a deal where people sign up at Christmas time to see if they can get, uh, on the list for gifts. Family Service Association, works with several hundred families. They work with them all year round, and they work with them on all kinds of things. And these are people that are in a tough situation. I can't generalize too much, but it's sometimes financial, sometimes it's health, sometimes it's a single parent struggling. Uh, maybe uh, they've, they've lost the place where they live or they're staying with friends or family members or they're in a shelter. So what we do... We kind of dance in here at the end of the year, and we try to make it so every member of these families, yeah, the kids for sure, but also the moms and the dads and grandma, have a gift to unwrap on Christmas Day. And that's what Wrapping with Jack means. And what we're asking you to do is go to KTSA.com, click on the Wrapping with Jack link or icon, and then you can give money right there. You can buy things through Amazon right there, and you don't have to worry about addresses or shipping or anything because it's the Amazon wish list for Family Service Association. Or if you want to go shopping and you want to pick up socks and towels and bed linens and basics for these families, you can do that, and we have a list of 
suggested items and where you can drop them off. And we, we need you to do that this week. All of this has to be in by the end of this week. And I was saying to somebody over the weekend, they were saying, you know, it always sounds like you're frantic in that last week, and this is the last week. And do I sound frantic? Because I am. <laughs> if I don't, I'm not doing a good enough job. No, here's what happens, and I'll just be honest about it. Every year, a lot of people wait until the last week. And, and they, they're going to give, and I know you're going to give, but I just, if you've waited to this point, Maybe you were waiting to see how things went with your own shopping or your own financial situation. I know it's a hard year for a lot of people. Um, but if you've waited till the last week, this is it. And it's got to be in. We've got to have the donations by Friday. And if you go to KTSA.com and click on the Rapid with Jack button right now, you can give right now. And then you're done. And it's a pretty amazing thing when you think about it because... You may have people in your life, you're going to buy them a gift. Other people are going to buy them a gift. They're going to have several gifts, right? Your kids are going to have the gifts from you and their grandparents and their aunts and uncles and what have you. But imagine you're giving the only gift that that person gets. It's pretty pretty amazing, right, to be able to do that. And uh, asking you to do it right now, ktsa.com. Presented by Quarter Moon, Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning, and in part by Copenhagen Furniture, River City Oral Surgery, and the Institute for Functional Health. So what do you think about uh, Jen Psaki came out today and announced that they're going to do a diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Olympics? This just, I, I don't know, this just sounds very political to me. Like, it's a half step, it's a half measure, You'll still get our athletes, you just won't get our politicians. Such a deal, right? Um, and I, I hear the argument about how why should we punish a young man or a young woman who's been training and dreaming uh, just because the IOC had the stupidity to put the Olympics in Beijing. Why should we punish our American athletes? I, I, I understand that argument, I hear it. Um and that would certainly be the argument if they announced they were going to boycott the games completely like uh, President Carter did in 1980. That would be the discussion. But um, just saying we're not going to send Kamala Harris or you know, Mrs. Biden, I'm sorry, that's, just, that's, just, that's less than nothing. That's so weak. And, you know, going into the meeting with Putin tomorrow, you look at what's happening in the world... Um, it's just one more sign that right now there's no quarterback on this football team. You know, there's just no leadership. Uh, and in, in so many other ways, the Biden administration has been the Carter years, you know, in repeat. I mean, we've got the gas prices, the inflation, um, the collapse of Afghanistan. Why couldn't he have copied Carter on this? Why could you, Carter? Carter took us out of the uh, Moscow Olympics in 1980. We're not going. We didn't go. Um, so we'll see. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. What do you think about? We were talking about uh, Bill De Blasio, the mayor of New York, doing these vax mandates. Uh, the Biden administration says they will fight in court. They're losing almost all these cases where mandates are challenged in the courts, and they're saying, we're going to fight them. 
We believe that vaccine requirements work, and they are successful, and so we're going to fight. Even though the courts are saying no, uh, we're going to fight. Now, how is that any different than back in the Trump administration when they were getting setbacks on things like uh, border policy and um, travel bans? And they said, we're going to fight. We think the courts are wrong. And they excoriated the judges and pointed out who appointed them. How is it any different now? I mean, I'm, I'm fine with whoever's in the executive branch using all their tools and wielding all their, you know, I get it. You would expect no less. But why aren't the people who were scandalized by the stuff Trump would say equally upset at the blatant disrespect or what would seem to be the same disrespect, right, coming from the Biden administration? Why can't they accept that they've been defeated? This is the checks and balances of the different branches of government. Sorry, you're not going to get your way. You may like the idea, but you're not going to be able to do it. You know what's interesting, too? When you start talking to people, have you ever had a, like a debate or a discussion with, I don't know, like somebody at work or a friend or somebody online about vaccine mandates? Have you noticed how quickly the person goes into defending the vaccines. So we, we've we blurred the discussion between vaccines and vaccine mandates. Now, there are people that don't like the vaccines. There are people that don't think the vaccines have been effective. Why is it that you can still catch COVID? Why is it that you can still transmit COVID? I don't think they work. There's that, there is that school of thought. And then there's people that don't trust the vaccines, and I understand that too. But When we're talking about the vaccine mandates, we're talking about the principle of the mandate. It doesn't matter if you think the vaccine is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Mandating something is a whole different discussion. Are people just not able to see the distinction, or are they pretending they don't because they really don't know how to argue against or or argue in favor of something like the government grabbing you, pinning you down, and rolling up your sleeve. And um, it's interesting to me to think this through and to think about this because the what we do about the vaccine mandate is going to be with us for a long, long time. It's going to have implications beyond this virus, beyond future viruses. It, it goes into other areas. Once we've established that no matter what your reasons and no matter how, you know, uh, intensely you object, your body really isn't yours. Your children's bodies really aren't your responsibility. They belong to the government. Once we've crossed that line, and I'm not saying that everyone who, again, favors vaccine mandates is a, is a dictator in, in waiting. But there are dictators in waiting. And once we cross the line, we've, we've allowed them to cross that line. We've enabled them. You may think, hey, I'm just trying to keep everybody alive and healthy. 
But you have to think beyond that. And it's amazing to me how people don't. In other words, if you're arguing in favor of the vaccine mandate, and I ask you, now, does this mean that the government can put other things in your body? That the government can separate and segregate people into classes based on other medical decisions and and health decisions? 99% of people will say, no, of course I don't mean that. I'm just talking about this. And my point is you can't just have this discussion in a vacuum. You don't get to have this discussion just about COVID-19. So you better be okay with it on principle, not just, well, it's an emergency. Don't you want to live? Besides being a really weak, lame retort, that's not how this works. So, again, the point here is vaccine mandates are not just about COVID, even if the people pushing them want to say that or label them as such. They will be referred back to in the future. The next time, and it may not be a vaccine, it may not be a needle, it may not be your arm, but the next time somebody in government wants something done and isn't satisfied with urging it or persuading or arguing for it, they will say, look, we've already, we've already had this discussion. We already, we have the power. You can't question. You can't argue. There's no debate. I don't want to hear a debate because we did this during COVID-19 in 2021. 210-599-5555. Now, there's a, there's a um, commentator and historian named Neil Oliver who um, has done some really interesting commentaries on this. And he was talking the other day about the vaccine mandates that are spreading across Europe. He wasn't referring to Bill de Blasio, who's in the news here uh, today. But I want you to hear what he's saying about this vaccine mandate discussion and where it leaves the rest of us. Cut number two. Listen to this. German politicians will hold a vote to decide whether vaccines should be compulsory. On Thursday, they decreed that those who had not so far accepted the vaccines would be banned from all non-essential businesses, bars, restaurants, cinemas and the like. This is the same game Austria has already played. Doors are closing options grow limited. Here in Great Britain, our own elected representatives are sniffing the wind and weighing their own options. Last week, Oliver Dowden, co-chair of the Conservative Party, was asked what he thought about the steps taken in Germany and Austria, what he thought of the notion of making it illegal to refuse the vaccine. He said, it's not something that we want to do or plan to do in the United Kingdom. Hopefully, we won't have to do any of that as long as people, when they get the call up, take the booster. I noticed the use, inadvertent or not, of call up. Nice military echo there. One, two, stand by your bed. He was pressed to say if he would simply declare that compulsory vaccines were wrong, wrong in principle, and that as far as he was concerned, his party, his government, should and would never do such a thing not under any circumstances, but Oliver Dowden would not and did not say that, presumably because he could not. He twisted and turned like a hooked fish, the bait swallowed and the hook fast, but his position was plain to see, 
glinting in the light. He would not rule out compulsory vaccines for all. His answer boiled down only to, as long as you get the jab, we won't have to force you. Mm. And he's quoting the number two guy in the conservative party in England. Basically, it's, it should be a no-brainer. Of course we're against that, and we will not do that or order that. Well, as long as enough people get the vaccine, we shouldn't have to make it mandatory. Hmm. He points out, though, Neil Oliver does, that we're in a moment that might actually be useful. As, as, as much as it looks grim because these mandates are spreading and this hysteria over Omicron, which seems at the moment not to be justified, is spreading, he says we're learning something about the people who lead or would lead us, we're learning something we might not have learned about them under normal circumstances. Cut number three. These are the contents of a closed box politicians all over the world have been contemplating for a while. It's a box I think they always planned to open eventually. It was always and only a matter of time, a matter of when. But I say again, that is not all bad news. Because the contents of that box, that box in which lies the ultimate say over our own bodies, our children's bodies, our freedom to live our lives unmolested, are dangerous for all. Because once that box is fully opened, the masks, and I don't mean the trillions of strips of plasticised fabric presently littering the streets, hanging from trees and fences, sinking into our oceans and choking the life out of wildlife. I mean the masks disguising totalitarians as Democrats and Liberals, those masks will finally be off. And that, emerging as though from a chrysalis as a fully-fledged totalitarian, takes some nerve. As they do say, you can't ride two horses with only one backside. If our elected representatives open that box, the days of masquerading as freedom-loving, liberal-minded public servants, the trustees of generations of democracy, will be over and forever. Once that box is open, once we step over that edge, there will be no going back for anyone. What do you think about that? I, um, I think it's a very powerful message. The Im- I like the imagery of the box. I wouldn't have put it that way, but I like the way he puts it. I, I, I think this is a moment that shows people rather than tells people about overreach, about tyranny. You know... A guy like me could talk for years about this might happen, this could happen, it looks like we're heading down. But, you know, you can hear it go in one ear and out the other, or you can say, well, what does he know? Or you can say, well, I I don't, he's been saying that for years and it hasn't happened, so I don't think, fine, okay. Now they're doing it. It's not hypothetical anymore. It's not. It's not this could be in our future or this might be where we're headed. You look at what governments are doing and saying, the flimsy pretext for it, the, the not even hiding, you know, using, using militaristic language, using harsh language. The President of the United States a month and a half ago yelling at the American people, we're losing our patience with you like a father who's going to turn the station wagon around if the kids don't quiet down. This is all real, not, hey, it might happen, cautionary note. 
And that's going to cross lines that, that rhetoric and party politics can't cross. Like, you might be somebody that would never listen to talk radio or would never listen to a guy like me. But you're going to experience this stuff. And you're going to feel it. And no one's going to have to tell you what to think of it. You're going to figure that out on your own. The only thing that scares me is who rides to the rescue. Because at some point when this all goes way too far and people are rebelling and revolting, that's a very, that could be a very exciting time and that could also be a time of great, uh, peril. Because that's exactly when a demagogue would come along and say, only I can protect you from mask mandates or vaccine mandates. Only I can make sure that this will never happen again. But you'll have to give me all the power. We can't have a democracy. Look what you guys did. You elected Biden. Or you elected a progressive city council. Or you elected a district attorney who's turning the the criminals loose to prey on you again. See, when people get to that point of not only fear but frustration, they will be apt to listen to and vote for a kind of person we have never elected in this country. And it could be bad. Could be very could be very bad. If you look at world history, some of the worst outcomes in terms of tyranny were from demagogues, from people who went to a hurting, frustrated, bewildered population and said, I can fix it, but you've got to give me unlimited, extraordinary power to do it. That's the only way we can fix it. And if people get to a point where they've had it, they'll say, okay, deal. You're on. I'm hoping, I'm not saying that has to happen. I'm saying that's a real possibility. When you push and you push and you push and you you drive people out of, you know, we're driving people out of the square right now. We're saying you cannot come to these places. You can't be with the rest of us. You're unclean. This isn't societal discrimination. This is government discrimination. It's much more powerful. Our next guest um, went to MIT, double majored in computer science, economics, and data science with business analytics, but finds himself doing something he did not expect to do with those degrees. Gohar Khan founded a uh, company, a startup, a tech startup called Next Admit. And ever since I read this article about him, I've wanted to talk with him and, and hear, have us hear from him. And he's on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners newsmaker line right now. And congratulations on Next Admit. I think this is a, a, a really brilliant idea, and it's going to help a lot of people. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. So you tell the story um, in the interview I read about how you what you went through to get into these top tier universities. What was it like? So the process of applying to college was it was confusing, right? So the high school that I came from, it was a small public school in Connecticut. Our school never really sent students to top schools, and I remember when, uh, when I was a freshman in high school, it was my goal to you know end up at a top school. And so I really kind of just spent, you know, most nights just on Google trying to figure out what different admissions policies meant, what prior students did to get into top schools. And it was really a process that I had to figure out on my own. And it was tough and it was difficult. 
And that's what really inspired the conception of Next Admin and my TikTok account. When you read what prospective students are writing, you say it's sort of sadly uh, the same essay over and over again. You know, um, I, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm involved in everything. I've done all these things. I'm an accomplished, well-rounded person. And, and that may not be what they're looking for. Or if everybody's writing that, that doesn't really tell them anything. Exactly. And I think most students do take this approach of just generically citing, you know, all their activities, all their accomplishments and trying to impress admissions officers that way. And I think really the best approach that students should take is to kind of find their unique narrative that they built throughout high school. So, for example, maybe you're like the biology superstar. Maybe you're super involved with debate and you've been doing it for four years. But I think finding that unique angle and that unique story to tell is really the key for, for these college essays. And is it something that maybe doesn't involve um, high academic achievement? Because, again, they're seeing that on every uh, packet. Maybe it's something unique about you or even kind of heartwarming or something like that. Exactly. And that's what I say in a lot of my videos and to a lot of my students is sometimes just showing vulnerability, you know, showing humility, being heartwarming in your essays will go a lot further than, you know, saying, you know, these are my academic accolades. This is why I'm the smartest student you've ever seen. And it's, it's really admirable when students, you know, maybe just write about their morning drives to school, right? Or like conversations that they had with their father, you know, at, at the game, like every single weekend. And I think these introspective essays sometimes even outshine the ones that are just about academics. We, we, if we didn't know before, we certainly learned in the last year through these celebrity uh, court cases that there are some very high dollar cons, uh, consultants and uh, people that you can hire to coach and manage your admissions process. What, what, what are your thoughts about spending a thousand dollars an hour on somebody who says I can get you into Stanford? So I have a very strong opinion about, you know, these high end services and it's that the information that you'll get really across the board is going to be very similar. I think, you know, with Google and YouTube and a bunch of these online resources, anything and everything you want to know about college admissions is available. And I think, I think after a certain price point, you know, it's, it's not the marginal benefit, the additional benefit isn't going to be that great. Are you saying, in essence, that a lot of what they are claiming they know is something you could find out on your own? I am, exactly. And I think, you know, for example, if you go on YouTube, you can find hour, two-hour-long recordings of, you know, former admissions officers just laying out exactly how the admissions process worked, what they looked for. And what you'll find, you know, is that you can't really tailor, like, every single element. And it's like, at, at that high price point, you know, you can bet you'll you're probably better off just, you know, searching on YouTube just for, for these free webinars and resources that are already available. So doing what you did, only now they have the advantage of you having already done it and sharing it with them. Exactly. And by the way, the website for Gohar's company is nextadmit.com. Uh, great website. And I, I love the TikTok videos. Uh, and those are under what again? What, what name are they under? Uh, the handle is Gohar's Guide. Go Hearts Guide. Uh, well, thanks for doing what you do. Um, as 
a father whose daughter is about to go into this process. I've got it on my mind a lot. Uh, I think you make a lot of sense. I think you're going to help a lot of people. And I enjoyed talking with you. Thanks for coming on today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Gohar Khan, the company again, nextadmit.com. Talking about vaccine mandates on the show today, the mayor of New York City announcing the most sweeping uh, mandates yet in his city, and they are spreading around the world. And Mary is on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Mary, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, One thing I've learned with this vaccine mandate, well, I knew it already. We're not dealing with the brightest of the brightest. Even Fauci's science ought to make them realize they can destroy American citizens' lives if they don't want the shot while at the very same time they've allowed millions of illegals coming in from 106 countries with more than just COVID. Mm-hmm. But, of course, the Democrats don't realize that's happening, so it doesn't fit in this mandate. So Americans are being punished while illegals are being supported. So where's this all going, do you think? Well... I have no clue, really. Because, uh, you know, you think about it, Mary, at some point, at some point, these so-called mandates, I mean, that's a polite word. When you when you run through all the people that will just cave in and say, all right, I'll do it, I don't want to lose my job, um, you're going to be left with people who you will literally have to pin down and stick a needle in their arm. And and I, I wonder about that. I wonder how that's going to go. I wonder who's going to do that. I wonder where they're going to do that. And and what will people do when that's happening? Well, and wasn't that going on in Australia or somewhere? That it's going on all over the world. But, I mean, I, I'm wondering, in our, yeah. we're, we're, we're a unique uh, society. We're not as compliant as most other places are. In most places, being a good citizen means obeying your government. In this country, being a good citizen means questioning authority, not obeying it. Well, and while your government is allowing people in from other countries to destroy what American citizens have, to come Mm -hmm. on our ranches, you know, to kill, they're bringing guns. That's why I wonder wonder what people's breaking point will be and when we're going to get to that. Because we are going to get to that at some point. Yes, we are. And we have a plan when we get to that, and we have to all be together in one spot so we can grow our food and things. Okay. And all right, Mary. My- thank you for the call, Mary. I appreciate it. Um, you know, de Blasio said something interesting in his announcement. He said uh, he was he was announcing the, the mandates for New York, but he said other mayors and governors should do it. And he said if we all do it, if if all the mayors do it and the governors do it and all the companies do it, there'll be no place for the objectors to go. He said that out loud. He didn't. He didn't. He. It's one thing to think that. You've got to be feeling your oats to say that out loud. And I'm paraphrasing, but in essence, he was saying there won't be another company you can go work for. Or another place you can move to. Let's make it so that you can't get away from this. Well, see, that's not possible. We're we're already seeing the pushback. We're already seeing the resistance. And I 
I do think they know what they're doing. I disagree a little bit with Mary. I, I think they're well aware of the distinction and the, the contradiction between mandating it for Americans and ignoring the health conditions of illegal immigrants. I, they know what they're doing, and they know why they're doing that. But I don't think any one of us really knows, because we've never been here before, what Americans will do when this is the regime imposed on them. We've watched this happen around the world. We may think we know, but again, those are different cultures, and their cultures as regards government, as regards citizenship, are different. 210-599-5555. Bob is on the radio. Bob, good afternoon. Hey, good to talk to you, brother. Uh, looks like we're going back to a situation in history where what... Uh, Hitler did to the Jewish people back in Germany uh, in 1939. How do you see that as the same as this? How do you think that's the same? Well, you're you're talking about not having people can cannot do this, cannot do that, forced and not have a job. Mm-hmm. And that's what uh, that's what basically Hitler did to the Jews. I mean, yeah, but the Jews were a very well. small percentage of the that's German true. population. Well, you true, you could but... you could easily say to all the non-Jewish Germans, "Hey, let's just you know, let's just get these people, and we won't yeah. we won't we won't bother you. We're just dealing with them." But see, this is different. This is this is threatening the freedom of of anyone and everyone. That's true, but it's just like uh, okay, you're going to do what we want you to do, and that's it. If you don't, it's what happens. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't there, but my understanding was the German people kept thinking, well, yeah, that doesn't look right, but that's not happening to me, yeah. so I'm not going to worry about it. And and then eventually, as the, say, the old saying goes, you know, one group led to another group led to another group. But I think this is different. I, I do. And again, we're not, we're not Germans. The definition of a good German, a good Frenchman, a good Japanese citizen is obedience to one's government. In some systems, it's even reverence for one's government. You know, if you're you're talking about Imperial Japan, you're talking about your the, the head of state is also a, a a deified figure. But we're we're we've never been that way, and um, no one's ever tried what they're trying right now. And I, I, I again, you may think, Jack, this sounds crazy to me. I mean, it's just a virus, okay? But once they cross that line. The second time you do anything is easier than the first. It's easier to justify. It's easier to explain. It's easier to sleep on at night. And then the third one is easier than the second. I'm not saying everybody who's pushing these mandates has thought that way or has thought that through. Like de Blasio doesn't seem like a very bright guy to me. I, I, I doubt he's, I doubt he's that deep, but there are people behind him and behind Biden, and behind some of the others, who are thinking that way. And they let it slip. They they say the quiet parts out loud. Somebody mentioned Australia. We have, uh, I'll have to play it, because I don't think we played it last week. There's a viral video of, of a woman who's in one of these COVID quarantine camps that they have in Australia. If you violate your quarantine, you have to go to a camp. And then she broke a rule in the camp. So she's in the camp, all right? Which is unthinkable to begin with, that that in the 21st century, Australia has put some of its own citizens in camps.
The uh, Roadrunners are going to be in the Frisco Bowl on December 21st. They'll be playing the San Diego State Aztecs. You know, there there are people today online in Roadrunner Nation who are kind of complaining that they think the UTSA should be in a better bowl. The Frisco Bowl is not a, a particularly prestigious bowl, but San Diego State is actually a really good team. This will be the best team that they play. They really should have been the Mountain West champs this year, and they were upset in the championship game. I think they lost to Utah State. But San Diego State's a good team, ranked much of the year, very strong quarterback, guy named Brookshire. Um, yeah, this will be a, this will be a good game, if not a prestigious bowl, uh, for UTSA. December 21st, the Frisco Bowl. And the, uh, they've just come out with the Heisman, uh, nominees, the finalists for the Heisman Award. Uh, it's Bryce Young, the quarterback for Alabama, Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud, uh, Pittsburgh quarterback Kenny Pickett, and Michigan defensive lineman Aiden Hutchinson will all be in New York City, and one of them will be uh, awarded the Heisman, uh, and that'll be Saturday night. Uh, Army-Navy game, and then the Heisman announcement. A lot of people think, and I'm one of them, Kenneth Walker III from Michigan State should have been in that uh, mix, but he kind of tailed off a little bit. Uh, but really, the best guy running the football, I think, all year was probably Kenneth Walker. Um, and I had my eye on Matt Corral, the quarterback for Ole Miss all year, too. I His numbers are not as gaudy as some of these other guys, but if you watched any of Ole Miss this year, Matt Corral is a guy you want in a big game. I mean, he is gutsy and clutch, and but you can't. I certainly can't argue with the quarterbacks they included, and and it's nice to see a defensive player included. That doesn't happen very often either. So, we'll see what happens. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Speaking of mandates, in Hopkinton, Massachusetts, which is a suburb of Boston, it's famous for being the place where the Boston Marathon starts. They run from Hopkinton into Boston. Um, they have dropped their mask mandate, and it has worked out great. <laughs> they have had only one COVID case in the high school, and um, that one case was somebody that contracted it away from school. So their pilot program of dropping the masks in school has been a success. By the way, they have a 95% vaccination rate, which is pretty incredible. Speaking of um, mandates, masks, vaccines, I was doing some reading about, um, this was a study, I think it was done in France, but it was a study about different kinds of masks. And what we call the N95 mask here, which is the plussed up, you know, better tighter mask. Um, I wore an N95 when I flew. It's very different than wearing these paper disposable ones. But um, that what, they, what we call N95, they call FFP in Europe. And they found there was really a difference between the way that mask protected people and the flimsy, gapping, sagging, not even wearing it right, paper mask. And the the point that that I drew from the article was we we've had this incredible fight and battle 
even to the point of families not talking to one another and friends breaking up with one another, over masks that are clearly inadequate and ineffective and that most people aren't even wearing right. And we never really did get around to drawing the distinctions between different kinds of masks. That's because in the beginning, there wouldn't have been enough N95s. There may not be enough now. I don't know. I haven't, I'm not an expert on the supply, but, but that was the discussion we needed to have. Not do masks work or not? Should they be mandated or not? Is there a kind of mask that works? And think about it. If a politician told you just wear a mask and they made no distinction about it, how do you take that person seriously? There's no science to that. Zero. None. And what they're finding is, well, it, it, it actually, there is there are degrees of difference based on the kind of mask and how it's worn. Who would have thought? There's a story in the news about a, um, a man in Italy, and he's actually a dentist. And um, they were uh, making everybody get the coronavirus vaccine, and he didn't want to get it. So he tried to avoid getting it by putting a uh, fake arm, a silicone arm, in his shirt. (laughs) He pinned his own arm against his body and put this, you know, I don't know, like like a mannequin arm or something in the shirt. And, of course, the nurse takes his arm to put the needle in. She's, you know, right away, she's... Unless she graduated last in nursing school, she's going to figure out this doesn't feel like an arm. This doesn't feel like skin. Uh, At first, she thought the 57-year-old man was perhaps an amputee and had mistakenly offered the wrong arm. But then she saw that he was just trying to avoid the vaccine. He could face criminal charges for that. She'd be charged with being an idiot. Um... Have you heard about this 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 is some crazy audio but let me give you the the backstory first. So after the high school shooting in uh Oxford, Michigan, obviously there was a lot of discussion about gun laws and what next. And um and a lot of you know gun advocacy groups have rightly suggested brace yourself or be prepared because this is going to touch off more and more um, attempts to control or, or take your gun. One of those groups is the National Association for Gun Rights. They received a voicemail Thursday night uh, for their Michigan affiliate uh, from a reporter for the New York Times named Erin Marquis. This is an example of what she left on their voicemail, cut number one. Hi, I'm a journalist with the New York Times. Um, I'm just going to wonder, I have two questions. How do you sleep at night? And aren't you just like a little bit worried that there might be a hell, and when you meet God, he will send you there? That's just my, my only question. Third question, uh, the only people politicizing this seems to be you, because you're the only people I got a clean press release from. Again, I am from the New York Times, and I'm letting everyone in the New York Times know what kind of f***ing f***hole you are. Congrats on being a laughing stock. You Ghouls. I hope that there is a God in heaven so he judges you when you die. She was a reporter. Okay. 
By the way, she's been um, suspended uh, from the New York Times. In an email, they uh, say, we expect our employees to behave in a way that is consistent with our values and commitment to the highest ethical standards, which I guess that was not, that wasn't an example of that. So, you effing ghouls, she says to them. And then there's a story out of, uh, this is out of Fort Worth. Um, they have a racial equity committee on the Fort Worth school board. And um, a woman who serves on the committee named Norma Garcia Lopez has been releasing the personal information of parents and leaving profane voicemails for parents who are fighting the school district over the mask mandate. You may be asking yourself, what does the mask mandate have to do with the Racial Equality Committee? Why is she even involved in this? Well, the question kind of answers itself, right? It makes its own gravy. So she um, put out addresses, phone numbers, names of parents, names of the student who the parent goes with. You know, this is the mom, this is the student's name. She says, some people might consider my actions doxing, doxing, she told the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. It's not doxing when you expose someone who files a public motion in a public court of law that impacts public school children. See, some of these parents are suing the Fort Worth School District over the mask mandate. So she's naming names and giving out phone numbers. She also called one of the parents and left a voicemail that included, F you, you stupid biatch, F you with your white privilege, not caring about the well-being of others, F you. A lot of science in this, right? A lot of science. It's very sciencey. You know, I say what you want about this, and she should be, you know, kicked off the committee and whatnot, but does it matter if everybody else on the committee thinks the same way, which they probably do? You know, what, what this tells me, when you see this kind of behavior, this kind of unhinged behavior from the New York Times reporter, from this woman on the committee in Fort Worth, you could, you could say, well, maybe they've always been hotheads and maybe these are people with, like, short fuses and they're, they're overwrought all the time. And that is possible. I mean, some of these people may just be people who've, you know, been powder kegs waiting to go off. But I, I have to think that's not true of all of them. I think they sense the the lash the backlash the pushback coming. You know, we're getting closer to 2022. To you and me that just might mean a new calendar, but to these people that means an election they're going to get creamed in. And they know it. And unless they cheat and steal, there's nothing they can do about it. They feel the limit of their ride. You know, the roller coaster's slowing down. The train's coming into the station. And they're mad. And they're not handling it well. They've been on an incredible ride. They've had incredible power. They've been high in the saddle, haven't they? I mean, it's fun to tell these people to shut up and sit down or they'll be arrested. Fun to be able to make threats. You know, we got them. But they sense that the tide is turning. They sense that people are, are waking up. They, they 
I think, because I think what's happening is, it's not just that you and I oppose them. They knew we would. It's that they have gone so far, they have awakened and alerted a, a kind of person that normally doesn't follow politics, that normally doesn't come to the committee meeting, right? Or, or check in on the news. Those people are waking up. Those people are talking about this stuff. Those people are, are, are chanting, uh, let's go Brandon at football games. You don't think everybody who's doing that is some talk radio listener. These are people that have been, uh, you know, activated. And they know it. And they don't like it. It's not going to end well. 210-599-5555. Uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio of New York City imposing vaccine mandates across the board, private sector employers, children. He says, go big, and every city should do what we're doing. That way people can't move somewhere where there isn't a mandate. That's what he said. Bank of America executives in New York telling their staff to dress down, coming to work in Manhattan so they won't be mugged or carjacked. Broad daylight robberies in the most... Uh, well-to-do neighborhoods of Los Angeles and Beverly Hills. And, um, of course, you heard about all the smash-and-grab robberies that are taking place in stores, Nordstrom's, Walgreens, Target. People just walk in. Groups of people just walk in, overwhelm the staff, take things. No one tries to stop them. AOC was asked about that over the weekend. She told the Washington Times... Uh, that stuff's not real. That's not really going on. That's just something that the right-wing media make up. She says, I think it happened once in a Walgreens in California, but the data aren't there. The data are there, and I'll tell you how we know. Uh, last Friday in California alone, in just one city, San Francisco, they came up with something like $8 million in merchandise that had been boosted from CVS and Target and Walgreens and other stores and was being resold on the Internet. So one way you know this is happening is that there's a robust online marketplace of stolen goods. The other way we know what's happening is that in many of these cases, in many of these stories, the surveillance or or security camera footage goes public. It's on the local news. So in AOC's world, that's not happening. You shouldn't believe your own lying eyes when you see it. That's that's the best they can do. Oh, that didn't happen. Esteban is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Esteban, good evening. Good evening. The mask is flipping. You ask any New York Times staffer what they really think about guns, and they will demonstrate a complete lack of knowledge about guns. Anybody who says that gun owners are happy with school shootings is a lunatic. But the trouble mm-hmm. is the lunatics run the media. And I have a dear friend. He recalled a fight in Madison High School back in the late 70s, and a kid, basically a hippie kid, smarted off to a redneck kid who had a 410 and 30-odd six in his and his truck and the hippie kid says, what are you going to do, shoot me with the rifle? And the redneck says, you ain't worth the cost of a bullet. Mm-hmm. We were, And so the whole idea of responsible, a responsible gun owner is disgusted at the school for not checking the backpack. A responsible gun owner is disgusted at the parents 
for even what he was showing so many red flags. Right. Even right. possibly. And so the mask is slipping on the New York Times, and the lady with the masks, I'm just practicing I'm also ASD. Wearing a mask at times is torture. If I accidentally swallow my saliva because I have, because a mask will generate a lot of saliva in my mouth, I will have a coughing fit. Mm-hmm. And so for certain children with certain disabilities, right. a mask is a torture device. Yeah. And but I like what you said at the beginning of your call, Esteban, about it's a very good point, and you kind of glossed over it, but the truth is a lot of people in the media who cover shootings or cover the gun issue, they don't actually personally know a single person who legally owns a gun. And they're afraid of guns themselves. They've never handled one. They don't want to ever handle one. But that makes it, that, that, that cripples their ability to, to treat all sides of this story or tell this story. And it's a problem. I mean, if you don't know anybody outside of your bubble, how do you report on what's going on outside the bubble? You know, my first firearms instructors would make Moses look like a mild-mannered character when it came to the Ten Commandments of gun safety. And these reporters have no clue how people who responsibly own firearms act. You know, you never point that gun Unless you intend to use it, you got to have a darn good reason. You know, there are there are instances in San Antonio where there has been responsible gun use to stop a violent crime. Right. But those right. shooters just, you know, they put the muzzle where it should have been. They did not take an. Well, it isn't just having shots. a gun that makes you safer. It's having a gun and knowing how to handle it. Use it. Yeah. Thank you, Esteban. Appreciate the call. Um, had a nice email over the weekend from. Uh, well, I won't, I won't use her whole name because I don't ever, I don't have her permission to do that. But her name is Jean, and she works for Old Navy, and uh, the Old Navy in San Marcos has adopted Rappin' with Jack and Family Service Association as their community contribution this year, this season. And so she was telling me we're uh, we're going to be making donations. All of our employees are going to be uh, donating, and we will be dropping things off. And she wanted to know where she could do that, and I sent her the link. And if you want to get people you work with involved this week in Rapping with Jack, I would love that. We need it. We are pretty far behind where we need to be with just four days to go. And so if you tell people at work about it, if you share it uh, at work, remember a lot of people you work with don't listen to KTSA or don't don't know anything about rapping with Jack, but they're they're good people, and if they knew about it, they'd want to support it. Tell them about it, get them involved, and then you can drop off your donations at any of our drop off sponsor locations. You can uh, gather it all up and bring it to one place. You can make a donation online at ktsa.com. We would love to have that kind of support in these last few days. And if you have any questions about how to do it, if there's something on the website that you don't understand, always feel free to. Shoot me an, an email and I will help you out because we got to do this in the next few days. This is it. Rapping with Jack 2021 on 550 and 1071 KTSA. 
639 is our KTSA News Time. This half hour, the results on the Stevens Roofing JR poll. Today is National Microwave Oven Day. That's <laughs> amazing that that would be a day. But it is. The uh, microwave oven, you probably have heard the story, accidentally invented by an engineer for the Raytheon Company. After World War II, they were doing uh, research on radar. And an engineer named Percy Spencer was standing near a unit, testing it. And he realized that the chocolate bar in his shirt pocket had melted. The microwave beams had a heating effect. He realized you could maybe cook with this. They cooked popcorn, and they did different things. They tried cooking an egg in the shell. It exploded. You can't do that. But uh, they eventually developed it, got a patent, and developed what became the Radar Range. That was their brand name. Many years um um, that was the it, that brand name became so synonymous with microwaves that people would just call their microwave a radar range. That actually was not necessarily the case. Kind of sort of like when people say I'm going to Xerox something, but they don't have a Xerox copier. Kind of like that. So the radar range. And um, as of last year, they estimate that 91 percent of American homes have a microwave. Probably not as many have radar. So, good on Raytheon for coming up with the microwave oven. 210-599-5555. When I, um, when we started doing Rapping with Jack, um, years and years ago, I would talk to these, uh, people over at Family Service Association. I would say, tell me about these families. Tell me about the people we're helping. And I'll never forget. Uh, one year they said, well, you know, a lot of these moms and dads are pretty sure that there will be no Christmas gifts. So they're telling their kids, now imagine this. You may take your kid to the mall to meet Santa Claus, or maybe you have a an event where you can go pose for pictures in your church with Santa Claus or what have you. But some of these parents tell their kids, Santa doesn't have our new address. Santa's not coming this year because we we don't live where we lived last year and, and he doesn't know where we are. Imagine, and, and I know they mean well, and, and I mean, you've got to tell them something, but imagine as a parent being in that position. We take for granted that we can put a smile on our kid's face. We take for granted that we can provide what they need, maybe not everything they want, especially if you have a teenager at the mall, but we can provide what they need, right? You know you've given your your child a, a warm bed to sleep in and good food to eat and a good education and all that stuff. But we're asking you to step up and help families that are that are struggling even with the things we take for granted. And your donation to Rappin' with Jack at KTSA.com is going to make the difference. And not only with a gift, and these gifts are practical things that people need, but maybe even a little bit of inspiration or hope, like, oh, you know, Maybe, maybe next year will be better. You know, maybe we're going to get out of this shelter, or maybe we're going to be able to get our own place, or you know, better health, things like that. So, help us do that. Go to ktsa.com. 
You'll find the Wrapping with Jack logo. It looks like a gift-wrapped box with a big ribbon on it. You'll see how you can give there. Share that link on your socials and share it with your friends and family, please. We have just a few more days to go. we got to do it. Wrapping with Jack, presented by Quarter Moon Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning, along with River City Oral Surgery, Copenhagen Contemporary Furniture, and the Institute for Functional Health. Do you know what a little library is? That's when people build like a little um, box. It looks almost looks like a birdhouse sometimes. They put it in their front yard or they put it in a public place. It usually has a glass door. And you open it up and there's some books in there and they're free to anyone who wants to take them. And then it encourages you to take a book and, and leave a book or bring it back when you're done. They're called little libraries. They're not the official library of the city. They're just something people do to be good neighbors, to spread literacy. So a woman uh, named Erin Aubrey Kaplan wrote an essay for the New York Times about how she thought it would be cool to have a little library. But it turned into a horror story. She said, one morning, glancing out my front window, I saw a young white couple stopped at the library. Instantly, I was flooded with emotions, astonishment, and then resentment, and then astonishment at my resentment. It all converged into a silent scream in my head of, get off my lawn. The moment jolted me. I had set out this library for all who loved books, and even for those who didn't. In theory, I would not want to restrict anyone from looking at or taking books based on race or anything else. But while I had seen white newcomers to the neighborhood here and there, the truth was I hadn't set out to appeal to white residents. What I resented was not the specific couple, she writes. It was their whiteness and my feelings of helplessness at not knowing how to maintain the integrity of the black space I had created. And it goes on like that. So, my first thought was, um, I don't know if you really love books. (laughs) Because I do. And when you really love books, you love sharing them, period, full stop. It doesn't matter. When you have a book that you're excited about or that's moved you, you're, you're happy and eager for another person to have that experience. You don't you don't stop to think about well do I like this person? It doesn't doesn't go there. So she puts a box of books on her lawn for people to borrow and gets angry when a white couple looks. What what where does this hysteria come from? Who's made people like this? Cuz I don't think you're born like this. I don't think you get this way all by yourself. What made Aaron Aubrey Kaplan and the New York Times editors who thought this would be a great thing to run, what makes them like this? By the way, if you switched the words white and black in this article, can you imagine the, the reaction? If somebody built a little library and said, oh my gosh, the worst thing, I looked out the window, there were some black people getting books. I mean, <laughs> they'd be the worst person in the world. We'd have to spend a week lining up, teeing off on how awful they were, how how racist they were. But it's not, this is just, oh, angst. 
And I suppose, too, somebody, I don't know, Ms. Kaplan, but I suppose, too, she probably would have been outraged if they had walked by and hadn't looked at her little library. I guess that would have violated her space or insulted her intentions, too. You can't win with people like this, right? If you ignore what they do, then I'm invisible to you. And if you go look at the books, you're crossing some race line that only people like her see. I I suppose what's behind all this is that she lives in a neighborhood where she's not too comfortable with who's moving in, right? That's what it sounds like. There's a lot of that, right? I mean, if we're going to be honest, that's been the story all through our history. There's always new people that don't look like the old people. There's always change coming. Many old urban neighborhoods have been at various times the Irish neighborhood and then the Italian neighborhood and then the German neighborhood and then the maybe the Chinese neighborhood and then maybe they became the Vietnamese neighborhood. I mean, there's, there's places all over our country where uh, the, the ownership or the turf keeps changing hands. I thought the point was that this was our strength. Haven't we been told? Diversity is our strength. Change is our strength. I guess not for her. <laughs> it's good. She can she can preach it to other people. She can't have it in her front yard. Do you agree with the diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Olympics announced today? Uh, yes, said 52%. No, said 48%. New JR poll tomorrow. We get started at four. You can find it anytime at KTSA.com. We got the word, uh, yesterday about the death of, uh, Senator Bob Dole, who ran for president in 1996. When he was running for president, um, reporters who covered Bob Dole noticed that he always had a pen in his hand. And somebody finally asked why. And he clutched it like in his fist. And I forget if he explained it or one of his aides explained it. It was, it was a remnant of the injuries, the grievous injuries he suffered in the Battle of the Bulge in World War II. That hand was gnarled, was, was, uh, clenched in pain. And he held a pen in that fist. It talked about how hard it was just for him to button a shirt for the rest of his life because of those injuries. Bob Dole was 98. Men that lived through those battles and served in that war are that age now. We lost another one of them uh, on Friday. Uh, Edward Shames was the last remaining officer in the iconic Easy Company from World War II. Remember Band of Brothers? Edward Shames was the last one still alive. His uh, story and the story of his uh, fellow soldiers was told in the hit series Band of Brothers and the books by Stephen Ambrose. Dropped into Normandy on D-Day. Volunteered for Operation Pegasus and Operation Market Garden and the Battle of the Bulge where Bob Dole was injured. Had an outstanding reputation as a soldier and the highest of standards. And uh, one of the neat stories about Ed Shames is um, eventually Easy Company wound up 
at Hitler's Eagle's Nest. Remember, he had that hideaway up in the mountains. Well, they were one of the first American units to get to Hitler's lair. Of course, Hitler wasn't there. Um, and Ed managed to liberate a few bottles of cognac that were personally labeled for the Fuhrer's use only. And he used that cognac to toast at his oldest son's bar mitzvah. I don't know if they're still making people like Edward Shames and that greatest generation. I'm not one of those who believes we'll never see their kind again. I don't, I don't know. There were people in their time who didn't think we would ever see their kind. I just am grateful that we had them when we did. The world should be grateful. The Nazis thought they could dominate the world. They had done everything right to do that. They had done all the prep. They had done all the training, planning. They just did not count on people like Edward Shames and our greatest generation. And we honor them. And we'll be back here tomorrow. We'll get started at 4. I'll see you then. Have a great night.